0: you're listening to The Real Life Podcast. You're about to hear a powerful message about Jesus straight from God's Word. If there's anything that we can do to serve you, please just take advantage of one of the options to get a hold of us, and we'd love to serve you today. Let's go ahead and hear what God's up to today. Good morning. Y'all well this morning? All right, a little livelier than the last crowd. Feel free to talk back as much as you want as long as it's good uh my name's Chris uh like Tyler said I'm a pastor of a church called Anthem over in Coeur d'Alene and Richie and I go back 20 some years uh went to Bible college together we've known each other for a long time dreamed of planting churches uh back in 2000 99 2000 at one point and then just ended up planting churches in two cities within a half an hour of each other so uh, it's been a blessing to walk with him and to know him, and I just love your pastor and his wife dearly, and I'm grateful to be here this morning. Um, you guys have been in the series called A New Thing over the last several weeks, and you've been discussing how in our followership of Jesus, Jesus sort of turns everything upside down. And we often refer to this as the upside down nature of God's kingdom. Anybody ever heard that, that, uh, that verbiage before? Uh, A quick history lesson for you to get you caught up on like how we get there. When the Jewish people returned from exile, um, they had hoped and looked forward to the restoration of God's kingdom. Like that was at the the, sort of the apple of their eye. And in their minds, the way that this would happen would have been through this Messiah that would come to earth as a ruler and and would just start dominating their oppressors, dominating their enemies. But centuries go by, even after they get back from from, uh, exile, and they thought everything would be restored, and even still, then um, this promised kingdom had not come. And so Jesus comes on, comes to Earth, and what's the message that Jesus starts proclaiming? He starts saying things like, "The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now." And so they assumed that that Jesus would lead this lead this massive rebellion, like against the Romans that he would overthrow the Romans, that the kingdom would be established in that way, like in a force, like in a military force. And the reality was that Jesus did come to establish this promised kingdom, but it was not the kingdom that they were expecting, not in the way that they expected it. And the kingdom that Jesus preached seemed to be a little bit backwards. It seemed to be opposite to what they had expected. The Messiah ends up being this suffering servant. And in doing so, He's actually the conquering king. He, he is the conquering king, even though he's laying his life down for others. Like, they didn't know how to deal with that, um, with that setup. And so Jesus starts preaching a series of strange sermons, and Jesus starts saying some weird things. Like, he says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. And, and if somebody hits you on one cheek, you should turn the cheek and take it on the other. And if anybody sues you and takes your shirt, you should actually go a step further and give them your coat as well. And if a soldier asks you to carry his gear for a mile, you should actually grab his gear and you should carry it for two miles. And then Paul goes on and Paul starts preaching things like the foolish things of the world, shaming the wise and God's power being perfected in weakness. All of these things that seem just a little ironic and a little bit upside down. And so in the world that we live in today, We celebrate human achievement, like left and right. We love watching people succeed. We love being a part of success. We love climbing the tallest mountain. We love winning a race. We love earning, working towards earning a million bucks or getting to a place financially where we're well off. And the world seems to celebrate newsworthy achievements. And these are the people, the people who accomplish these things are the people that we ascribe a lot of notoriety to. Like we follow them we watch them, we want to be like them and model ourselves often after them. But it's not that way in the kingdom of, of God. Instead, what's significant is what God is doing in the lives of people who are actually surrendered to him. That come to him in a very low place and they surrender. They give up their lives in order to follow after Jesus. As Paul would say, it's not about me, but it's actually about Jesus. And so this is the upside down kingdom nature Of following Jesus. We are not of this world. And when Jesus is at the center of our lives, everything we do is actually for him. And it sets us apart from the rest of the world. We're a different people. In the past weeks, you guys have talked about how we're literally taking off our old selves and we're putting on these new selves in Christ Jesus. And this new self has a renewed vision, a different outlook for uh, five spheres in our lives, for our relationship with God, for Uh, the church, for family, for the world, and the spiritual realm. And so um, what Richie had asked me to sort of step into this morning was teaching out of that world sphere, um, but talking this morning about Sabbath and rest. And, And again, as I address this issue of Sabbath and rest, I think it's of utmost importance in our walk with Jesus. Like we have to be anchored to these things. We have to be grounded in this life to Sabbath and to rest. It's interesting if you read the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, what were some of the things that brought about the greatest resistance and opposition to Jesus? It was actually the fact that he he and his disciples were permitting things to happen on the Sabbath day, that, that, that no other religious leaders would allow these things to happen, but Jesus and his disciples seemed to be doing these things. And so Jesus heals on the Sabbath and he catches flack for that. He casts out demons on the Sabbath. He teaches on the Sabbath. He encourages circumcision on the Sabbath. He does charitable acts on the Sabbath. And nobody knows what to do with this, with what he's doing. They think that he's actually going against. He's he's actually not upholding the law and keeping to the Sabbath. And so at face value, the question we have to ask this morning is, is Jesus hoping for you and I to uphold the Sabbath? That's really the question I want to address this morning is that His intent in our life that we would actually keep to a Sabbath rest. I've spent hours discussing this topic with many people over the last few years. And I want to preface this morning by saying this, that my wife and I have spent years trying to figure out Sabbath rhythms in our life. There have been seasons where we've killed it and done really well. And there's been seasons where we've failed horribly in in trying to protect a Sabbath rest for ourselves. Um, But it was ironic when a couple months ago, Richie had come to me and asked if I would share this morning. And I said, what topic are you giving me? He said, Sabbath, rest. I want you to talk in the world sphere and how we're set apart as believers in the sense that we are called to Sabbath and to rest. And and so I'm like, oh, cool. You know, like I've taught on that before. I like that subject. I've studied it a lot. And then fast forward two months now, I find myself in the last four weeks in the most chaotic four weeks of maybe my last five years. And as I'm preparing for this, I'm, I was literally telling my wife a few nights ago, I'm like, it's just so ironic that I'm here to talk about rest and I feel like everything's in chaos right now. Like I'm not finding it myself. And so I don't want you to at all assume that I'm a pro and I've figured this out. But I do want you to hear from the words of Jesus. I do want you to see what scripture has to say about Sabbath and rest and the purpose for it, for you and I. And I do want you to know that I have made major attempts in my life to pr- try to protect days and times in order to intentionally t- be with Jesus. So first of all, this a simple question to ask is what is Sabbath? This word Sabbath literally means to cease. It's, it's Shabbat is the word. It means to cease. It actually means to stop. It means to rest. And it has its roots, as many of you would know, in God stopping to rest on the seventh day after creation, right? An important Uh, this is an important point for us to see that that God did not rest on the seventh day of creation because he was tired, right? God wasn't exhausted and then rested on the seventh day because he was like, man, that was just exhausting. You know, created all things. I need a break. Um, That's not why he rested. God rested because he was finished. He completed what he needed to do. His work was done and so he rested. Moses writes this in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. He says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Here's the second important point for us to see in Genesis 2. At this point in the scriptures, this isn't a command to anybody, right? This is, merely like an explanation of what God did. It's not commanding us to Sabbath at this point. This is what God did. He rested. It doesn't become a command for us until centuries and centuries later, we get into Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse eight, where these 10 commandments are given uh, to Moses. And one of them, the fourth of the commandments being this command to keep the Sabbath. And so the question is, why is this commandment given? Why in the world is it a commandment? And why, why? are individuals to follow this command. Uh, in Deuteronomy 5, 13-15, it says this. It says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. If you've got ox, donkeys, livestock, like chill out for that day, Right? On this, or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from, where, from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so we're given an answer to this question of why they were supposed to follow the Sabbath commandment, the why and the what, right? You shall not work. That's the first instruction. You should cease. You should stop. You shall not work. Uh, And then that's something that, um, that, that you should do. But there's a second part to this, right? There's something that you should do. You shouldn't work, but you should, you shall remember, he says. And in the same way that God didn't work on the seventh day, you won't work on the seventh day, which in Jewish cultures would have been Friday night to Saturday night. And so God initiated this. He set this model for us to follow. But in addition to ceasing from work on this day, it's important for us to emphasize the fact that he said, you don't just cease, you actually remember. And so what specifically was it that he was calling them to remember? They were supposed to remember that at one point in time, they were slaves. They were slaves and actually God freed them, that they were brought out of slavery, that he was ushering them in to the promised land, that this promise was being fulfilled. And so going back to our initial question, should we keep the Sabbath? It seems fairly obvious in this. Yeah, I think we should. I mean, it made the top 10, right? It actually made number four. Like we don't look at thou shalt not murder and say, well, you can do it it with that one. That's okay. We'd all say, no, actually we should uphold that one. It's interesting that the Sabbath and keeping that day holy becomes the one that we do away with. But we look at the rest of the commandments and we'd say, I think they're valid. I think they're important. I think we should actually heed to those commandments. But the Sabbath one, we'll just throw out. It's important to note that of the 10 commandments, the the call to keep the Sabbath is the only one of the 10 that's like ceremonial in nature. The, The other nine are more moral in scope. In fact, the other nine are referred to in the New Testament And the only one of the 10 not spoken as a commandment in the New Testament is keeping the Sabbath, which is interesting. It's also interesting if you go back into the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that Jesus refers to these nine other commandments in this passage. And he even ups the ante on on one of them. Like he goes a step further with each of those commandments. And he doesn't even mention Sabbath keeping at all in that text. Then in the book of Colossians, Paul sheds some light on this whole discussion and he writes this. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then he says this, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I want you to think about that. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So does that mean that Sabbath keeping is no longer encouraged in the New Testament? Like I'd say, no. Uh, remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it, right? He didn't come to do away with the Sabbath. Jesus came to actually be the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And so as you look at this passage in Colossians, what Paul is saying is he's telling us that the Sabbath pointed ahead. It pointed to something future. It served as a shadow to Jesus. Like it was preparing us for something. It wasn't abolished by Jesus, but even when Jesus comes, it's fulfilled in him. Like it's part of him. Rest is found in Jesus. Um, We all know what a shadow is, right? Like if, if you and I were to be walking down the sidewalk this afternoon and sort of lock eyes, I see you from a distance and you're walking towards me and As you're walking towards me, the sun is behind you and it's beating down towards me. What's the first thing that's going to get to me as we walk towards each other? Your shadow. I'm going to see your shadow cross my path. And it would be a little bit strange if as you're getting close to me, I look down and I'm just watching your shadow. And I'm like, what's up, dude? How you doing? Like, you having a good day? Like, I'm just hyper fixated on your side. You'd be like, you're strange. You know, look me in the eyes. Like I'm actually here. You don't have to look at the shadow. I'm actually here. Here's what Paul is saying is Jesus is actually here. Paul's saying, don't be enamored with his shadow because Jesus is actually with you. He's actually arrived. All of these things pointed to him, but now he's arrived. Jesus came. And so right before Matthew chapter 12, uh, when Jesus starts talking, uh, he goes on this rant about the Sabbath, um, he says this in 11 verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And then immediately after this, there was confrontation after confrontation over Sabbath keeping. And so what was Matthew trying to tell us? That Jesus really is our rest, that he's our Sabbath. We can get in the yoke with him, that we can come to him. Don't be enamored with the shadow, like be enamored with Jesus. Come to him, he's here. Sabbath rest isn't just merely taking a day off a week. Sabbath rest is no longer working for what you can attain, but realizing that it's about what Jesus attained for us. Amen? And so we find rest in Jesus. The Pharisees, they worked really hard at not working hard, but they never found rest. They missed Jesus. They were caught up with the shadow. They actually missed the substance, as Paul says, and so too with many of us today. And I'm not just talking about Sabbath. There are so many people today who have become satisfied with shadows. And unfortunately, they completely missed Jesus. We love the shadows of things in our culture today. We're really good at finding partial forms of fulfillment in many different things, rest just being one of them. Our culture is always pointing us, always. It's the perfect deception. Our culture is always pointing us to the shadow of things. It's always pointing us to the shadows and never pointing us back to the source. And the frustrating piece is that we're sort of satisfied with the shadows of rest. The idea of rest—we're satisfied with partial rest, if I can get it—or the idea of eventually having rest, right? But never actually attaining the complete rest that God has for us. We want it. Anybody in this room not want rest right now? Anybody feel stressed out, burdened, heavy-hearted? We go looking for rest in vacations. We go looking for rest in hobbies and in activities. And I'll tell you this morning. Those are merely shadows. They're partial, but they're not complete. We work constantly and we wear ourselves out with this hope that we can eventually make enough money to stop working, right? Only to never be fully satisfied and ready to step into complete rest. And the grueling part of this cycle in our culture nowadays is that we always find ourselves at a place where we don't have enough money saved up to follow through with the rest that we hope for. Anybody been saving for a vacation for a long time and you keep working hard and putting money away and planning only to hope that you would get that vacation. You see this with people in retirement. Like I'll work really hard and I'll kill myself through my work years only to get to my retirement. Well, lots of people don't even make it to retirement and they never even got to step into the real rest that Jesus had for them. And I guess the question is, at what point do you have to get to in your life before you say, I'm gonna cease from work in increments right now to partake in the rest that God's offering for me today? Not the maybe potential down the road, if I have enough money, if I have enough time, if I live that long, but how are you gonna partake in that rest right now? And so we convince ourselves, we tell ourselves that it's only for a period of time, that we'll literally kill ourselves working so hard because eventually we're going to have the passive income to sit back and to not work anymore. These are shadows, church. They're shadows. They're they're not the substance. And the reality is that we've failed to enter into his rest because his rest requires two things that are called out in these passages. One is rest requires us to cease from work, right? We have to stop at some point and you have to take a break. You have to stop. But the second part of that is that we have to remember where rest comes from. And and I think that that's at the core of Sabbath. If, If the scripture says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, then Sabbath, understand this, is a gift that God's offering you. And this gift can only come from and in one place, one place of substance, and that's in Jesus Hundreds of pastors right now are preaching on and writing books on Sabbath, primarily because we're literally watching a culture kill themselves and destroy every good thing in their lives because work and money are where we find value in our culture today. Like our hope is that we can maybe buy rest. Our hope is that maybe we can earn rest. But here's the sticky part for me. You have two different camps in regards to Sabbath in the Western church right now. One, you have a camp that says that Jesus is our rest, like he is our Sabbath. There's no need to uphold a literal Sabbath, like a day, because Jesus is the Sabbath. And the reality is there's a hint of truth in that. Jesus is a portion of that. He is the fulfillment of that. But there's a second camp that says that you actually have to uphold a literal Sabbath. You have to keep that to a T like the Jews were commanded to do Friday night to Saturday night. You have to practice that. And that Sabbath is a binding commandment for believers, which again, it's not all wrong. It's really good. If the heart behind that is to set time away for God, it's not all wrong. There's an element of truth to it. But again, it is not complete. It's not legalism that we do this in. And this is where it gets really difficult. Should we observe it or shouldn't we? And I believe that Jesus would say, yes. (laughs) Yes, you should and you shouldn't, right? Which sounds really confusing. It's a both and. And I think that much of Jesus's life and teachings aren't always black and white. uh, As much as they're Jesus actually pointing us to live in a tension. Like I, I tell people all the time, like why did Jesus come to this earth? What did he step into? He stepped straight into tension. Well, why do we live in a culture that tells us the minute we feel tension, we have to escape. Jesus went to it. So we feel tension in our marriage. Well, we get divorced and we're done. The tension's not worth it. We get tension in relationship. We sever that relationship. We get tension at work. I'm done with my job. Wherever the tension is, we live in a culture that tells us to flee towards comfort and not embrace holy tension. And Jesus stepped into holy tension. We as followers of Jesus, this is what sets us apart from the world is the world is sitting there saying, when tension arises, go find the place that makes you happy. Jesus says, when tension arises, you hit that nail on the head and you run to it. You believe that I'm there in it with you, that I will walk you through the most tense situations ever, that if you uphold my name as first and foremost in your life, you honor me in those tensions and I will make myself known. And so here's where we sit as 21st century believers wondering what it is that we should do. Because I often find myself as a pastor, um, people are coming to me wanting me to give them black and whites in their life. Like, tell me what to do sort of mentalities, right? We want the problem solved for us. And so what we do is we go to extremes on one side or the other, and it doesn't really alleviate the tension that you and I feel. What it does is give us a system to function in that allows us to convince ourselves that the tension doesn't actually exist. It's a lie because we don't want to live in it. And this, is, th- th- this was exactly why the Pharisees missed Jesus, right? We would rather have the list of, to- of do's and don'ts and clean cut, easy to follow steps. Um, people come to me often and say, pastor, who should I vote for? Uh, pastor, should I marry this person? Pastor, should I get a divorce? Pastor, should I take this job opportunity? Pastor, what do you think about this? And the reality is, is that you don't need a pastor to tell you what to do in those moments. You step into the tension and you seek the spirit of the living God to give you the direction that he wants to give you in those moments. But we want black and whites. We don't want to embrace those hard seasons. We're living in a world that's tired a world that is working nonstop. Many of you in this room, you're constantly working. We've literally built corporations in our country that work people around the clock, restaurants within the corporations to keep people there 24 seven. So they never leave. And work is the thing that they identify with. It's the thing that they find value in. And it's the only thing they give their life to. You live to work and that's it. But to cease in our culture, also has this connotation of, like, laziness. So am I being lazy if I stop working? And herein lies another tension, because the Bible speaks strongly about work ethic and working hard, and it speaks strongly about laziness um, and, and equating it to somebody who's denied their faith and is worse off than an unbeliever, is what the word says. And so there's a balance. Work hard and cease hard. Because if statistics are true then the majority of you in this room right now are stressed out. Statistics say that 73% of Americans have stress that impacts their mental health. 73%, 200 some million people in the United States are stressed out. 75% of Americans experienced moderate to high stress levels in the past month. Stress is the number one health concern of high school students today. Stress, we are all stressed out. And everybody's asking the same question. Why? Why are we so stressed? How can we find rest? How can we actually eliminate our stress and our hurriedness and our never-ending pursuit of more? And simply put, we're stressed and tired because we never stop. And, and that's a problem. And we're actually deteriorating our most prized possession in the pursuit of a really busy life. Our soul is actually what's paying for it in the process. Our relationship with Jesus gets the leftovers of our busy lives, and that was not how God intended for it to be. The upside-down kingdom aspect of Sabbath and rest is this. How does the world view rest today? How does it view rest? As something that you work hard to attain. You kill yourself for it, and then you take a vacation. But how did God see rest for us? And I want you to see this this morning. God saw rest as something we work from, not something that we work to. That's not how our culture sees rest. We go hard to rest. God saw it as you actually work from rest. And you see this uh, in, uh, you see how God did this even in the creation story, right? That um, God rested on the seventh day. Did God have to rest on the seventh day? We talked about this. Did Did he need that rest? Absolutely not. So why did God rest on the seventh day? God rested on the seventh day to set a rhythm for you and I. Who was created on the sixth day? Anybody? Man. Yeah, mankind. So what was the first thing that mankind did? Rested. Is that not crazy? God creates us and then rests. (laughs) And for us, it's backwards in the culture that we live in. Man's whole life is built off of rest in God's eyes. And so I want to leave you with seven things real quick that we can remember if we're going to keep a Sabbath. Just a few things. Um, and I, again, I, I hesitate to give you a bunch of parameters because I don't want this to sound legalistic, but I want to give you some practical pieces um, that you can remember if you're going to keep a Sabbath. One is again, a Sabbath is a time of remembrance. So you take time to remember that God brought you out of slavery, just like he did the Israelites, that he saved you. You make much of Jesus in these moments. It was his Passover that actually led us out of slavery. And it was his baptism and death that actually leads us to the promised land. And this is key. Make your Sabbath a time of remembrance. Sabbath wasn't just given to us to go live our recreational life void of any remembrance. It was actually given to you to remember. There's something about remembering in the Sabbath that sets you up for the rest of the week ahead. Two, your Sabbath should be an act of worship. In the same way that God rested in his finished creation work, we take time in our rest to celebrate, celebrate the fact that we too are a new creation in Jesus. We're complete and we're finished in Christ. We worship because our rest is in Jesus. Like worship comes out of a place of rest. Three, um, that it's an event that bears witness. When we Sabbath, it actually testifies to the world and to our own souls. And it says that God is in control here, that we would literally stop other things in our lives to make time for him because he's the one that holds the reins to my life. And so our decision to rest demonstrates an even greater faith than most other things that we do. You have to block time out in your life. Otherwise, your life will get the best of you. Four, Um, It has to be done in recognition that you are human also, right? Why should you Sabbath? Because who's tired in this room? Your body needs it. I'm glad only three of you are exhausted right now. Um, I am a minority right now. Uh, Most of us are tired and you need the rest in your life. Uh, I don't, number five is that, uh, that it also be held loosely because I don't think that it's a matter of us like, not having seasons where we work really hard or have a lot on our plates for a season. Um, those things happen, but those don't become the, the, the normal rhythms in our life. Um, there has to be grace where we can bounce in and out at times when there's busy seasons of our life. There's grace for that, 100%. However, I will tell you this, in my wife and I's lives in the last several years, we have made a priority to establish Fridays as our Sabbath. And what that looks like for my wife and I is our kids are at school. My wife and I, we get up, have coffee. We spend time reading. We pray. We go have brunch together. This happens every single Friday. And for us, it has been a rhythm for us that has allowed us to be grounded in the rest of our weeks. And I'll tell you what, we've done it so much that on the Fridays when I skip it, I feel the tension going into the next week because there's something it does for my soul. There's something it does for my marriage and my other relationships. When I intentionally spend this time with Jesus? Um, The the last two points are more like questions, but I want to give you some answers to them. So the sixth is this, that what day should you Sabbath on? Does it have to be Friday night to Saturday? No, not at all. In my opinion, it doesn't matter. But what matters is that you find a day and a time, that you figure out a a moment in your life that you're going to calendar and schedule and everything else will work around it. And then finally, what do you do on your Sabbath? And my answer is simple. Anything good. Like for some of you, that might be lying on a couch all day. For some of you, that might be getting outside. For some of you, that might be something in between. But there's an opportunity to worship him in every activity that we're a part of. If you enjoy creating, then go build something. If you enjoy taking it easy, take it easy. But someone once said in terms of this, he said, it should be filled with things that are different than what is normal in your work life. So make it different, make it restful, make it worshipful, and make it good. I want to close with a story for you. And um, this was a book that I read uh, a couple years ago and the book is called The Rest of God. And uh, the author shares this true story about his wife's grandma. And she spent her whole life in this mining town and she constantly watched people coming and going in the pursuit of gold. And she spent her life questioning how people could be so fixated on finding gold. It was frustrating to her because she would see a look in their eyes when people would come to this town. They only wanted one thing, and they were on the prowl. They were willing to do whatever, and they were willing to lose whatever in order to find that thing. And I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to this story. This is story time with Chris, okay? One day, Grandma was in her backyard polishing a large stone. It was a boulder that sat in her garden too big to move. It was one of those stones, round and smooth tumbled by eons of wind and ice and water, thickly embedded with glittery chunks of mineral. She was polishing it with sandpaper. Her logic was that since she couldn't be rid of the thing, she may as well beautify it, try to remove the scumble of dullness on its surface and hone it to a lustrous sheen. She was going to make it the centerpiece of her garden, but she got more than that. As she sanded, she noticed a thin sifting of gold gathering on the stone. She pressed the tip of her finger into it and pulled up a caking of gold dust. Her heart raced, she sanded faster, leaning her whole body into it and more gold appeared. Now she was scrubbing that rock as if it were a blood stain with strong sweeping strokes and gold began to accumulate rapidly. She caught the fixation that all the miners had had. She understood with perfect instinct what all this time she dismissed as sheer nonsense. Grown men squandering all else, homes and farms and families, and reputations, and flinging themselves headlong into reckless escapades, spending their years burrowing beneath tree roots, grubbing through silk. But now, she had it too. Gold fever. She was gonna be rich. She stopped a moment, she wiped her brow to rest a bit, and that's when she noticed that something was wrong with her wedding ring. The top side was normal, but the underside wasn't. The band was thin, as a cheese slicer wire. She had nearly sanded her wedding ring clean off. All that gold was merely filings. It was the remnants of her heirloom. It was her treasure reduced to dust. And I read this, and I felt heartbroken over the story, mainly because I know there's been seasons of my life where I've squandered treasures to pursue dust. For many of us in this room, we've done that. We've forsaken the things that matter in order to chase after the dust only to find that what we lost in the moment was actually the treasure that God intended for us to possess. And we're often guilty of eroding irreplaceable things in an effort to extract something that isn't even actually there. We're constantly chasing the lie, aren't we? The lie of hurry, the lie of rest, the lie of money, the lie of comfort. the lie of being self-made, the lie of hustle. For what? We're replacing it for the dust of the irreplaceable things that we're left with. In 2007, I'll leave you with this, Dallas Willard was asked if he had one word that would describe Jesus. Anybody know what that word might be? Relaxed. Which I thought was such an interesting answer, right? You could choose anything. He's powerful. He's almighty. Like, You could choose anything. Like, think about the pressure that even Jesus was under, all the demands for his time and his life. Think about the fact that he could only be in one place at one time and had knowledge of everything that was going on and he couldn't be everywhere at once. Like, think about the stress that Jesus must have felt. Jesus knew the demands of your life. He knew the demands on your time ministry, opportunities, but yet Jesus never stressed. He always made time for others. Jesus always made time for his father. He could have said anything. Dallas Willard could have said anything about Jesus. And the one word he chose was relaxed. I think when it comes to Sabbath, it's an opportunity for us to rest our bodies, to relax, for us to remember who provides rest for us, to remember that not only is our physical body at rest in him, but our soul is at rest in and Sabbath is this amazing opportunity for us to resist the tides of the world that are being thrown at us so that we can take a moment to be restored and to be prepared for what lies ahead for you and I. This is the upside down rhythm of a kingdom minded person, amen? I wanna pray for you this morning. And I literally had this vision while we were worshiping this morning of somebody sitting in their truck, frustrated to no end, crying and banging their hands on the steering wheel.
1: And it's like we're living our lives
0: frustrated and crying out, and we're seeking for rest, but the way we're chasing after it is either at the expense of things that matter, or we're chasing a shadow of something that's a version of, but not the real thing. And this morning, my question to you is, do you need rest? Do you know where the rest comes from are you prepared to receive it this morning because the sabbath rest is not just something you take it's this amazing gift that's being given he's asking you to unwrap it to experience it to spend time with him to know him to draw near to him to receive from the gift what he intended something that the world your spouse your friends your jobs nothing hobbies nothing will ever give you what he can give you this morning. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for your Sabbath rest. I pray that we would be a people that would experience it in a real way. That we would be a people that would resist the temptation to chase after the shadows, to go after the things that exhaust us versus us finding rest in you. May your spirit come right now, Jesus, in your name, and just overtake the hearts of the souls May you bring us to a place where we can walk with you, experience you, rest in you in the way that you intended. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.